I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Tim Hackbart. He is the CMO or Chief Marketing Officer at Del Taco. Del Taco is a restaurant concept that offers both Mexican and American favorites, such as burritos and fries. Del Taco's menus include things made from quality ingredients like freshly grilled chicken and carne asada steak or fresh house-made guacamole, fresh house grated cheddar cheese, slow-cooked beans made from scratch, and signature creamy queso blanco. So if that hasn't made you hungry, the rest of this conversation might with Tim. We're going to talk about QSR's 25 different restaurant concepts that he's worked on across his career in consulting, advertising, and actually as an operator. And we talk a good bit about what Del Taco's up to, their new brand Promise, as well as how that translates into their company's experience, both the employees as well as the customer experience. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tim Hackbart. Tim, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Alan. <laughs> I'm excited to have this conversation. It's it's always a fun conversation when you're talking about food. And <laughs> luckily, I have already eaten today. Otherwise, I'll be starving by the end of this conversation. But before we get into that... My goal is to have you starving again. 
<laughs> well, yeah, that, that par for the course. CMO what I do for a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Crave more. <laughs> well, before we get going into like your current role, um, I hear that you go well above and beyond your call of duty and your first marketing job. And tell me how a job at Pizza Hut led to food festivals. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I definitely go uh, above and beyond, especially for, uh, for my, my wage at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's going way back. So my first marketing job kind of happened slightly by mistake and slightly on purpose all at the same time. I, um, I was going to college and uh, what I would do is I would work all summer long, um, really hard, a couple of different jobs, uh, try to make as much money as I could. And my dad would pay a third, I would pay a third, my mom would pay a third. And that would be kind of like our deal, right? And try to get out of college without any loans, uh, which we were successful at. And um, let's just say uh, in my junior year, I was having a really good time and um, burned through my cash early. Uh, in fact, I had such a good time. I think I had two junior years. So anyway, I went down to the to the union center, the UC as we used to call it, and uh, you know needed to get a job halfway through school uh, that year. And uh, you know, no internet then, three by five cards stuck on a cork board. And there was a job and it said, uh, local store marketing person for Pizza Hut. Uh, and there was one Pizza Hut in my college town, old red roof, like you dine in, you know, in the oh, front. Yeah. And the video games probably. Too. Yeah. had the little corner <laughs> yeah. booth with the glass, you know, in the corner, if you remember those. And um, I literally walked four blocks down to the Pizza Hut from the Union Center and uh, walked in, got an interview on the spot, walked out with the job. And so it was minimum wage. I think it was like two and a half dollars an hour then or something like that. And um, my job was to spend 12 hours a week doing local store marketing for the Pizza Hut in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And so I was working on a minor in marketing and my major was broadcast to cinematic arts. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do some marketing, you know, I'm going to be graduating here relatively soon and uh, be good to walk out of this out of this place with something to put on a resume you know as opposed to most of my friends had nothing except for their degree right so I got totally into it and um, we took that location the guy owned 36 pizza huts and we took that location from number 12 to number two in two years and I just I was all in and did all kinds of crazy stuff uh, so uh, one of the examples was there was a concert that would happen. Every year, it's called Mayfest, and it would happen on the Sunday before finals because that's you know when you want to have a big, huge party. <laughs> a school I went exactly. to, <laughs> and I'd gone to it you know a couple of years before, and um, I noticed that there was you know no absolutely no food service out there or anything. Right? I mean, it was just literally it was like kind of like a Woodstock thing. You would just go out to this thing. It was in a farmer's field. You could bring your own keg and like roll it out into the field and everything. And there was no food for anybody. So I struck a deal with the organizers that I give them five cents on every dollar, you know, that we sold. And they're just kind of like, cool, we're getting more money than we had last year. And uh, did the health permit and got a tent and we had um, trucks shuttling pizzas out there and everything and sold $5,000 worth of pizza that day which is pretty dramatic in, you know, 1987. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a big day. It's a big day in conjunction with whatever we sold in the restaurant normally. So we were really busy. I got very involved with the um, Parks and Rec Department. And one of the things I found out was that they were having a festival every summer uh, called Energy Fest. And again, no food at it. And at that time in the 80s, that's when a lot of cities were having food festivals. And I had gone to a couple of them in other cities. And I said, well, why don't I put a food festival uh, together for you? And they're like, well, just pizza. And I go, no, no, I'll get everybody. In, I'll get all the restaurants in town to do it. And they're like, really? Went, like, yeah, I'll just go do it. Because I'm just, I just need to, you know, uh, have more sales at Pizza Hut. But to do that, I'll get everybody else to come, you know, and my, my company will benefit, right? So I literally like printed off sheets and went door to door to all the other restaurant owners and I got them all to sign up. I brought them their health permits. I dropped their health permits off for them. And I created the first food festival for um, Mount Pleasant, Michigan and how the ticketing system would work and how they get their money, you know, at the end of it, everything. And I was, you know, what, 20, 21 years old. It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> it would be your whole podcast uh, to, to talk about all these things we think things I did there. It's a, I mean, it's a master class. I mean, it's so funny to me. Like you're doing this at like, like 20, 21, something like that. And Oh, and then what happened was (laughs) I got, I was like so good at it. Right. That, and we took the store sales up so much as the franchisee that owned all the restaurants, he started to rent um, hotel rooms or hotel um, conferences. And then he would bring the other stores in and I would come in and do seminars for them on how to do local store marketing. Again, I'm not even graduated, right? Right, right. Well, I mean, you're you're perfectly ready at ripe old age of 20, 20, 21 years old to be a CMO of a restaurant chain. So how'd you, how, why did it take this long to become CMO at Del Taco the second time around? Second time around? Yeah. No. So what, where, where did you go? Like post, post, post college, like how did you get into, what were you kind of like the, the seminal stops, if you will, to where you are now, CMO. The seminal stops. Well, I left. I left college. And I actually uh, went into broadcasting. I went and worked in radio and TV for a while, and did that. And then I uh, ended up. There's a pretty girl uh, who is now my wife of 31 years, and she lived in San Luis Obispo, California. I wound up there, and uh, I was uh, Saturday morning. They didn't have the Sunday paper. They had the Saturday paper in uh, in San Luis Obispo. Open up paper one day. Here was the job section again before the internet. And there was a job and it said, fast food marketing director, PO box 256, Arroyo Grande, California. That's the ad. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, you know what? I really like that thing at Pizza Hut. That was really fun. And and by that time I'd been working with, you know, fast food advertisers and things like that. And I'm like, man, I could do that, you know? And so I, I applied, got a call, went in. Did the interview, got the offer pretty much in a couple of days. And it was this old brand called Foster's Freeze, which was uh, founded in 1948, kind of kind of offshoot uh, rogue franchisee from uh, Dairy Queen and um, turned into about 125 locations uh, when I joined them, but had been around a long time, classic California brand. And I uh, became uh, head of marketing. I think I was like I don't know, 27 or something like that. And I became head of marketing and, uh, and I was also the entire marketing department. Right. All in one. All in one. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was right. I, I wrote, I wrote all the commercials and did all, did everything. The marketing meetings went really well. You know, the decisions got made fast. Yeah. Well, I, I know you've worked at 
a lot of restaurant chains, like just name a few. So listeners can kind of put their, put their stamp on or, or understand all of the things that you've seen. I've seen a lot. So I've been head of marketing at restaurant chains. I own an advertising agency for a period of time and about half of our business was restaurant chains. And then additionally, I had a restaurant consulting firm for restaurant chains. And through that, I've worked on 25 different restaurant chains um, in my career. And it's everything from fast food all the way up to uh, polished casual dining, big box casual dining, 8,000, 12,000 square foot locations. And so some of the brands that people uh, would know, of course, Del Taco, where I work today. Another one that a lot of people uh, really enjoy is uh, BJ's Restaurant and Brew House. Great brand. Boy Marie Calendars worked on Rubio's Fresh Mexican Grill, uh, known for their fish tacos uh, here in California. Taco Time was another one. We'll talk about that in a minute because I know you're going to ask me, like, how did I get the Del Taco? Try to think of uh, uh, any uh, any of the others. There's there's so many. No, no, that's good. I mean, so I, what what did bring you to Del Taco? I know, and I this is your second time around. We I highlighted that a little bit earlier, but I guess what brought you back? Well, what brought me back? Uh, a couple of things was that when people would ask me, "Hey, what was your favorite restaurant chain to work on?" My answer was always Del Taco every single time. It was kind of a kind of two things. One, the business model was in such a way that you could really increase sales because there's so many different ways to increase sales at Del Taco. Okay. And one of the unique things about Del Taco is that most brands like, let's take a sub sandwich brand, right? Sub sandwich brand pretty much has two day parts that they can get sales out of like lunch and dinner. And that's kind of like the end of the brand. At Del Taco, what's really great about it is that we are believable to go to for breakfast. Okay. We are believable to go to for lunch. We are very believable to get your afternoon snack because of the type of menu that we have. There's things that you can kind of just get a little meal for in the afternoon, kind of get you to the other side. We're believable for dinner and we're very believable for late night. 70% of our locations tend to be open 24 hours and we've been known historically as kind of a place to go kind of after you've been to the concert, partying, whatever. And of course, now with uh, so much home delivery, after nine or 10 o'clock, there's very few restaurants open. We're open and you can order delivery from us. So just think of all the different ways you can take this brand and, and you know reach into it to be able to increase sales. And on the culture side, it's always been, uh, most of the time, every, every time I've been here, it's been a brand that has been very much a challenger brand very much a brand that's um, a little bit aggressive, entrepreneurial, uh, willing to step out there a little bit, take a little bit of risk. And that's always fun for, of course, a marketing person, measured risk, of course. So all of those things combined really worked out to be a great place to uh, come back to. I had also been doing various different consulting services for Del Taco for about five years before they asked me to come on board. I actually already had a door code to be able to get into the building. <laughs> it was a seamless transition. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. And people just ask me, they're like, you know, can you keep going back to Del Taco? And there, there's all this other really bizarre stuff about Del Taco and, and Tim Hackbart. And that is that the founder's last name, his, his name, the founder is uh, Ed Hackbarth with a T-H. Mine is a D-T. That's pretty close, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. The brand started in 1964 the year I was born. 
And I'm narrowing this down now that the brand started in the month of January in 1964, the same month I was born. And his nephew taught my daughter uh, history, uh, Eddie Hackbarth Jr. I mean, we just can't get away from this place. Yeah. <laughs> I think the universe is telling you you found your calling. <laughs> yeah. Del Taco. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you have worked at, you've worked at so many chains and, and had so many different types of experiences from advertising, consulting to, you know, operator, if you will, on the operation side. Like how has the restaurant and QSR industry evolved? I was just talking to somebody about this the other day where the original concept is that you get something, it was all about convenience for a low price, right? So how can I get something quick for a low price uh, and be on my way. It all just kind of goes back in time to, you know, the innovation the McDonald's brothers did. And certainly that stayed very consistent through the years. And I think that when you kind of got to somewhere probably in the mid, early mid 2000s, it started to change a little bit and you started to have a lot more quality come into the game. Still convenience. It's all about convenience on the QSR uh, side of things. And today, now, if you think about it, Fast Casual came out a number of years ago, and that was sort of like reasonably convenient, higher quality, right? Well, really, QSR has stepped up their game, and now you can get really good quality, really, really convenient. So that blurred or that edge between Fast Casual and um, Fast Food is really kind of going away right now, which you know is a potential big problem for Fast Casual because if you can get it faster... And it can be really good and you can get it for less money. You're going to do that. No, oh, definitely. I mean, it, it, why, why not? Right. Right. Why not? <laughs> I mean, it's just pregmatic and makes a lot of sense. So that, that I mean, it's always, it's always felt like a very competitive space, you know, marketplace. And it sounds like it's even getting more competitive because of the, you know, everyone's raising the bar on quality. Everybody's raising the bar on quality and everybody's trying to figure out how they can get it to the customer faster easier, still really good quality, right? I mean, we're, we have we have pickup lockers on the outside of our new locations right now. So the DoorDash and uh, you know uh, Uber drivers and things like that don't even have to come inside the building. They can just open up and take the product and, and move faster. And we'll probably have that for the consumer as well. Yeah. I mean, the delivery game has just completely changed um, in the last three years or so. And I haven't seen those yet that you guys are on the leading leading edge there, door lockers. Yeah, it's cool. Every CMO I talk to, every role is just a little bit different. You guys in the corporate C-suite, I like to say that CMOs are the snowflakes because <laughs> n- none of them are the same. Like, you know, like, because you take a, a different example, CFO, largely is the same role. Pretty much same role. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, not much changes. CFO is CFO, but marketers very different. How is the CMO role defined at Del Taco? CMO role, role kind of oversees everything to do with marketing, messaging, and menu. I think that's a good way to talk about it. And I would say the difference more recently uh, has been a big impact on culture as well. So that's a lot of things. And I think in my particular role, it's certainly much closer to operations than a, a lot of my fellow CMOs out there. Uh, so I work very, very, very shoulder to shoulder with the operations team, especially on innovation, op simplification, skew rationalization, things like that, because we're really trying to take our business so that we are um, more efficient at it, 
more accurate for our guests. Uh, and if we can, if we can do that, uh, we'll be able to attract more employees, um, you know, team members that'll be really interested in working at working for us. And then we'll also be able to spend a little more time, uh, you know, being a little nicer to the guest as well. So there's operations in it, and, you know, lots of different things. It makes sense. And I like how you've got the three, three plus one, if you will, the marketing messaging menu and now culture. Yeah. I'd probably add in there. I'd probably add that in there, that experience, because certainly I've had a ton to do with um, the new fresh flex location that we have and that, that in that, that experience that you're having, right. Actually started working on that in 2018 as a consultant. And our whole goal there was like, you know, how do you, how do you reinvent the experience at Del Taco? And integrate new technology, better convenience, things like that uh, into it. So you saw a lot of folks come out uh, with you know new prototypes and things like that. You know uh, a little a little after the pandemic, we actually started on that back in 2018, and and we had it all in a can ready to go. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I know last we talked, you also launching a new brand promise, Better Mex. Tell us a little bit more about what that is and, and, and why now? Why, why launch a brand promise right now? So what it is, is it's, it's, it's a, it definitely is the brand promise. Uh, and what we like to talk about is that it's a combined solution. And what that means is that this, it's not an advertising campaign. It's not a marketing campaign, anything like that, right? That is part of it. But that's not the only thing it is. Really, it's the it's sort of the essence of what Del Taco is and how we are culturally. So we're on this like never ending goal just to be better every single day. We do a number of things in our category uh, that that we have found are we feel are better in our consumers when they learn about it. They feel they're better too. So from an ingredient standpoint, we actually make guacamole fresh from scratch. We make pico de gallo fresh from scratch. We do not get in pre-shredded cheese. We actually shred our cheese off of 40-pound blocks of aged cheddar. So there's no like anti-caking agent or anything on like uh, like that. We're like literally shredding the cheddar cheese in the building. You know, uh, we actually put a pot on a burner and cook our beans from scratch. And these are things that have been very difficult to communicate to consumers. We've done a good job over the years and certainly have. Uh, registered those things with them better. But then we kind of think, I'm like, man, why doesn't everybody get this? Right. And when we do tell people that they're like, oh, I'm always going to Del Taco now. Right. Exactly. Because like, who does that in fast food? <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating they always have their customers in mind their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
<laughs> not, not, not anybody I can think of. <laughs> so right. yes, but know. they're all good things, you know? Right. Yeah. So we're kind of sitting around one day and I'm like, well, why don't we just say that? Just say it really simple. It's just, it's just better max. <laughs> and then as we thought about it more, we're like, you know, really that's what our company's all about. How do we get better every single day? Right. How do we make things more efficient for our operators? How do we make it a better environment for people to come work at Del Taco? How do we make our benefits package better for them so that they stay with us a long time and you know they, they're part of our family, right? We give them a great, great home and help them get a leg up in life, right? Kind of thing. And because we have a lot of people here that, you know, started mopping floors and they're they're in the office next to me. <laughs> You know, kind of thing, right? Which is great. And that's what you want to do is have some fantastic opportunities. And then you kind of get into the food, which we just kind of talked about. But we think that we can have some better experiences from a food standpoint. We actually think like a word we like to use is funnerer, better, funnerer. And we have some cool things coming out over the next year. But then also, you know, we talked about our fresh flex design for our buildings. That's a better experience for all the different things that we put into it. So when you really kind of take the entire organization, both internally and externally, what's happening, you know, what's consumer facing, what's touching that individual team member or anybody in our corporate office, right? To make it a special place to work. That's what we're doing here with BetterMix. It's, it's a 360 degree uh, goal uh, to just have this resen- relentless desire to be better. And our whole goal is to uh, create elevating opportunities and experiences for people. Well, it totally resonates with me. And I love when it is like based, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to build and communicate is coming out of who you are and how people behave. It's so organic and authentic in that way. And it just makes the marketing better, right? You're not putting lipstick on a pig. It is the pig. (laughs) Right, right. And we we have to be able to deliver that for sure. Right, right. You talk about the building design, the Fresh Flex update, and you're on the backside of a pandemic. I mean, some people say we're coming out of it. Some people say we're still in it, but we're living with it. Let's put it that way. We're living with it. So the apps and the digital experience fit into this equation. We also talked about the the lockers that you mentioned, like pickup lockers and things like that. So I'm curious where the digital side, whether it's apps or otherwise, kind of fits into the QSR experience. Well, it's all a technology world now, but certainly that particular area is all about convenience and and uh, for the consumer, but it's also about a connection for the consumer to to the brand. So can it be more than just a way to order? Can it be more than just points? You know that type of thing. You know how can you make it more interesting? So so you become part of the part of the club, if you will. Right, you're on the inside. That's some of the things we're really focused on right now. I think. The majority of apps have now actually become functional. They actually work. <laughs> it was kind of dicey before, <laughs> but most of them more or less work and you can order and you can get things and you know all that. But that's the first thing. Does it actually work for the customer? Does it make their day better? Does it make it more efficient? Can they get what they want? And then now can we make it a little bit fun for them? Funnerer concept coming the back again. Part, yes. <laughs> Well, awesome. Oh, well, I mean, so we started off talking about food makes me hungry. So this is definitely going to make me hungry. So you got to tell me about pushing past prior failures to launch the epic tortas. Yeah. I just think this is just the funniest story from a, you know, if you're a fast food person. 
<laughs> or somebody who does my job, right? Or our job. So I came to Del Taco the first time in 1999 and I walked through the door and they said, oh, we got a couple things in test we want to show you. And okay, great. And one of them was a tortoise sandwich. And this is 1999, it was like way ahead of its time. I, I didn't know what one was. And uh, so they take me and show me this thing. And I'm like, okay. And you tell me that it's like a Mexican sandwich. Yeah. And I go, okay, well, is there somewhere here in Southern California that you can show me like a real torta? And so they take me, I'm like, well, these two things are not like the other. <laughs> and what they were trying to do was take this idea of a, a torta sandwich, but shove it into the box of what fast food was then, which meant I got to make it a low price point. I can't have it be great quality because I got to hit that low price point, right? And it all came back to the low price point. So that original one that I saw was at Del Taco was sort of like, it's kind of something on a hamburger bun and it was a really bad bun. So that was trial number one, which was an epic failure. Then number two, kind of, and this was after I left, kind of was the same thing. Try number three was, yeah, it was a little bit better. The bun got a little better, but not a whole lot. And it wasn't a very big sandwich. And that, that just crashed and burned too. So I come back to Del Taco and, and I'm like, you know what? This might be the time, but we can't do it like that. And what we saw over time was that, like we talked about earlier, is that fast food really gravitated much more over the last number of years towards fast casual. If you kind of go back in time, you go like, okay, when did that maybe start? And, you know, what came to my mind was Carl's Jr. Uh, They're kind of the first folks in fast food to come out with a premium burger with their $6 burger, which now is over $6. But that was kind of like, that was a big thing. It was a big breakthrough. If you go over the last couple of years and you kind of think of premium sandwiches in, in fast food places that have done well with it, hey, uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich, fantastic, right? A lot of the stuff that Arby's has been doing with their different sandwiches and meats and things they've been bringing to the table, really fantastic. So it's paved the way for us to be able to do a really premium, fantastic sandwich. We have also paved that way by taking our brand and, and doing what we call QSR Plus, okay, Quick Service Plus. So having fresh guacamole, fresh pico de gallo, things like that. So we've, we've paid our dues as well. We also have a line of burritos called Epic uh, Burritos. They're fast casual style burritos like you might get in a fast casual uh, burrito place with fresh ingredients that I just named and they're really big in size. So, you know, we've we've paved our way as well. So seemed like the right timing to do that, but we had to make sure that we made a really good quality product. So these are on seven inch long rolls. They are stuffed full of really great stuff. Uh, they're big, they're hearty. Uh, they are a spectacularly great quality product. This is not a small fast food chintzy product. This thing is packed. <laughs> Sounds like splitting <laughs> splitting one might, for a snack might be a good idea, uh, but consuming the whole thing for a good meal. So <laughs> Yes, great meal, great meal. Get, getting back to your uh, this, all the levers that you have available to grow the business. And we put them into test into multiple markets, made tweaks and adjustments and things like that. But they always did very well out of the gate since we started. So we're, we're really happy with where they are right now. And, and we've done the homework. Well, I, I, yeah. And it, I mean, it seems like you really dialed in. Well, a lot of things were, were coming into place, right? Like like you just described, you, you're evolving the brand and what it means to the marketplace, talking about the fresh ingredients, the QSR 
is kind of upping their game and there's been demonstrations of the market in place and what more perfect time than now, right? Like, yeah. And then the category, I mean, the, the platform itself, big Mexican style sandwiches, there's nobody doing that in, 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 in our world, right? So now I have a category and a platform with really awesome flavors that you can't go find anywhere else, which is exactly what you want to have happen at every restaurant brand, no matter what. Oh yeah. Blue ocean, blue ocean. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I, it, thank you for sharing the example because it's rare, you know, that people like to talk about, you know, things that didn't work out before. Right. <laughs> but sometimes you have to push past those things. Um, to your point, like a lot of other things have evolved to make it the right time. And um, man, I can't wait to taste one. And now I am hungry. Now I'm hungry. You've done your job. So, <laughs> well, um, you know, one of the things we like to do on this show is kind of get to know the person behind the microphone. We know that apparently in your DNA, you are a restaurant guy, like from the early apparently. days. <laughs> so I'm curious where this, the answer to this question is going to go, but like what experience of your past defines or makes up who you are today? I have thought about that long and hard and have a very distinct answer. <laughs> and and I, I think all of that always goes back to usually how we were brought up or some experiences we had younger in our lives. And um, I grew up in Michigan in a very, very small town. Uh, we only had a hundred and I think 116 people in our graduating class. And it was called Tri-County High School. And it was called that because you had to go to three different counties to get enough people to fill the high school. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. You could literally be on the bus for an hour in some cases before you actually got to school. So anyway, small town, my my family uh, immigrated from uh, Germany, late 1800s, early 1900s kind of thing, right? And farmers. And uh, although my, my parents were the first folks to go to college, uh, and they became teachers. That's a whole other story here. Actually might fit into this one. But I spent a lot of time on my grandfather's farm and he was a farmer through and through, never made it through more than sixth grade. Very, you know, good, successful farmer, uh, eventually had 600 acres for his family farm. And there are a couple of different barns that were on that property, that primary property. One of the barns was called the White Barn. It was white. (laughs) (laughs) And in that barn, it was a smaller barn, but that was the barn where if you had a piece of equipment break, okay, you would take those broken pieces and you would take them into that barn and put them somewhere. Or you would get wire, leftover wire and hang it on the wall, or you would get leftover rope and hang it on the wall and everything. And whenever something happened on that farm where a piece of equipment broke, you went to the white barn to find the answer to your problem. Because to get a part, first of all, it's it's a 45 minutes to the John Deere dealership, and they probably are not going to have the part. And it's going to rain tomorrow. And you got to harvest the crop or plant the crop today. So there's a timing issue. And so I was taught at a very young age how to be creative and resourceful and find solutions on that farm. And you just, you got to do it to survive. So that was a, a pivotal experience for me. I can always just like, okay, that didn't work. This is broken. Okay, how are we going to fix it? And it doesn't always cost money. It could just, you know, we could duct tape this together. We could rope it together. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yep. I've seen many of those driving on old country roads. Yeah, exactly. And you don't necessarily have to call somebody to fix it. You figure it out. Right. 
And I think that's that's what has led me to be able to be creative in my in my professional role. I love that notion. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start telling my teams we gotta go to White Barn. It'll start being my code word. <laughs> I was in the White Barn with my dad a couple of years ago, and uh, he pointed to this this piece of equipment up on the wall, and he said, "That's been hanging there since I was a kid. It's never come down." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's probably like artifacts that like just go back. There's so many stories I can only imagine. Oh, and there's just layers. Yeah. 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 Well, um, what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? <laughs> the, I think, you know, I, was, I thought about this a couple of years ago and um, I never, I, I did, my parents um, were really cool in the early or late 1960s, early 1970s. I was a little kid and uh, they were, they were teachers. And um, they um, made the decision that they wanted their kids to see something outside of this little town we were growing up in, right? And things were cheap back then, like gas was a quarter and stuff. And, and my dad had this van and um, they loaded us up in that van for about three years in a row and took us traveling across the United States. By the time I was in like first grade, I'd been to most of like the national parks, like Yellowstone and stuff like that, Glacier and everything, you know. And we literally just go camp and travel around because they had the summer off and they felt that that would be really good for their kids to see something else. Right. And I think if I talk to my younger self today, what I would say is when you graduate college, Tim, don't go get a job in the United States. Go get a job in another country and live there for a year. Then go to a different country after that, different language. Go get a job. Even if it's just working in a restaurant or just doing whatever, right? Go get a job and live in that country and do that for about four years. Go live in like four different countries and learn about other cultures. And that will just be such a, you'll just be such a better person. You'll under, you'll be better with people because you'll understand people better. And you'll have much more creative ideas to move forward with because you always learn something when you go other places and see how people think differently. And that's only like a three or four year period of time in your life which is really, really small. You have plenty of time for this whole other career thing, but that will benefit you for the rest of your life. And I didn't really travel outside the country till I was much, 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 much older. And, and I really see that now as that was a, that was a big mistake. I, I like it. Thank you for sharing that. That's a fantastic advice. Because you can live on nothing at that age, right? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and you don't have any responsibilities either, <laughs> other than the ones you create. Why? Yeah, you create for yourself. But yeah. Well, uh, is there a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about right now or maybe something you're trying to learn more about yourself? I think a lot of marketers kind of get stuck in the day to day. And especially, you know, when you're working with, say, public companies and things like that, it's all about, you know, sales today and sales tomorrow and <laughs> sales the next day, right? And how you're performing and and you kind of get down into it. But I think the thing that I'd like to hear marketers talk more about and learn more about is really brand love, why people are involved in, uh, why people love brands. And, you know, when I used to do consulting and uh, for, for restaurant chains, they, primarily I worked on turnaround situations. Those brands are always like, hey, who are the, let's take a look at the folks that are doing really well, right? Every single time it was brands that people just love. They were emotionally connected to it. And we don't talk about that enough. Some do, but not everybody does it, right? And that's one of the things we're really trying to do with, with Better Mechs um, is really how can we 
really get that brand love both internally and externally if we if we do it well. And it's a journey, you know, it's time. We're not going to get it right out of the gate. But like I said, we're just trying to get better all the time. Awesome. Well, two more questions for you. Are there brands, companies, or causes you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? I think one thing to watch, this isn't necessarily take notice of, but I think um, watch the electric car race because that is going to be a race. A lot of companies involved in that. And it's going to be really, I mean, there's going to be some really, really important um, business case studies when this thing all shakes out at the end. And there's going to be some really amazing marketing eventually, because eventually they're all going to be electric cars and you know, we're not going to have combustion, especially here and now in you know, Southern California in 2035, uh, you won't be able to buy a combustion uh, engine anymore. So there's a lot of people playing in that game. There's a lot of money in that game and that'll be really interesting to watch. A couple of things, a couple of companies I like to watch right now are a company like um, REI and you'll see those companies are really starting to take the brand and utilize the brand to have multiple channels of revenue. So most people think of REI, obviously, for camping gear and outdoor gear and things like that. But they also have a travel section as well that they uh, create revenue off of. And they're really starting to figure out like, hey, this brand stands for a lot more and they can have multiple channels. On a restaurant scale, there's a great brand that I just love called Cooper's Hawk. And so if people are familiar with breweries that are restaurants, right? Uh, like my old one, BJ's Restaurant and Brewhouse. These guys are a wine restaurant and uh, you can pretty much only get their wine at their restaurant that they actually make themselves. They have the largest wine club in the entire country, if not the world. So they have multiple revenue ch uh, channels from the restaurant itself, okay, which tends to be more, more white tablecloth, a little under white tablecloth. Okay. But that becomes a little, you know, it becomes a bit of a special occasion, right? So to continue the revenue on every single Cooper's Hawk, they also have another door you can go in, which is the wine tasting room. Okay. And that'll have small plates and wine. So that's more affordable and you can go there more often. Right. So that does the frequency. And of course, in both situations, they're trying to sign you up for the wine club, which is the other channel. And then the fourth piece of it is then they also have a travel component there too, where they're taking people on wine trips around the world all the time. Right. And they're continuing to figure out what are all these additional like revenue channels that fit with our brand? So really stepping out of there and really redefining on like the business model and what you, what you can do with a restaurant concept. But in reality, they're a winery. The restaurant is a method to sell more wine. I love it. I love it. Well, last question for you. What do you feel is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? I think the largest opportunity and threat is technology <laughs> because it's moving so fast and there's so many things to figure out. It takes up a lot of time. It's a lot more money and so on and so forth. But also for smaller brands, it's also really great and larger brands, but for smaller brands specifically, it's becoming a really good opportunity now. You used to only be able to say, you know, go into a market. You'd have to build out a whole bunch of locations to afford broadcast media now you can go in with one location and do a little television campaign through CTV around an individual location or a couple of locations. That's now opening up a whole new opportunity for smaller and mid-sized brands to be able to market visually. Visually usually works better, um, you know, for things like that. And it's just it's never going to be ending, you know, the the technology. So it's a it's a threat and it's also an opportunity all rolled into one. Love it. Well, Tim, this has been like a fascinating deep dive into the pool with QSR restaurants, 
all that's going on as well as what all the good work that you're doing at Del Taco. Thank you for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me, Alan. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 